Hebrews 10, we'll be reading verses 32 to 39. That's really just to get your attention anyways, what that noise is all about. It's funny, as Aaron was holding up that disciples shirt, it says disciples, for the people in the back with eyesight like mine, it says disciples be, grow, and make. And I was just envisioning like everybody saying, be, grow, make. But um, I'm, I'm not going to make you do that this morning. But uh, I'm excited about our, our mission together and what God is calling us and our local church to do. If you weren't able to be there last Sunday night, we had a family meeting. Um, if you haven't yet listened to the message from the family meeting, um, I encourage you to go ahead and do that. And um, if you have any questions from the family meeting and you were here, please let us know. We'd like to hear that too. Well, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. This is God's Word. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come. Let's say amen right there. Yet a little while, the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the sweet encouragement that your word is to us. God, thank you for reminders that you are the one who works in us. When we are too weak, when we are frail, when we are unable, when we are tempted, when trials face us, you are the one who works in us, and you are the one who will be at work in us. Father, I pray this morning for faith. I pray for faith for all those who hear. Faith for me as I preach your word, God. Father, I pray for hope. That you would give the gift of hope to endure. Pray, Father, that you would enable us to hang on to the confidence that we have in you. Not out of our own strength and ability, but by the strength that you provide. Give us your Everlasting grace. In your name we pray. Amen. When my, my children, when they disobey and they, they do something to earn a consequence, I like to take them aside. I like to give them some instruction. I want them to see what they've done. I want them to understand that what they've done is not only disobey me, but what they've done is transgress God's law. And disobeying God's law, disobeying mom and dad, that's, that's sin. And I want them to understand the consequences for sin. I want them to understand that when, when I give them a consequence here, 
um, it, it's meant to remind them that all sin has consequences. It's meant to remind them that sin is painful. It's meant to make them not want to sin, to hate their sin, to, to point them to God. It's a painful experience for both of us. I know when I was a kid, I, my dad used to say, this hurts me more than you. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> now I think I begin to understand what he meant. It doesn't bring any pleasure to a parent who loves his child, to discipline the child. But it's for the good of the child. And it's, it's meant to point him to love God more, to hate sin, to understand that we need a Savior, we need redemption. I tell my kids that I want them to know that there's hope. I tell them that the reason I'm, I'm, I'm giving these consequences is that, so that you can realize that you can't do it on your own. You need help. You need someone to come and rescue you. And here's the good news. After we give the consequences, I follow up. I, I take them into my lap or hug them and say, there's hope for you. There's hope for me. Your hope is the same as my hope. And that's the fact that Jesus came and, and He bore all the consequences that you deserve, all the consequences that I deserve. He took the wrath that you've earned and that I've earned. And the hope is if you trust in Him, if you put your faith in Him, if, if you have confidence in Him, the hope is that He'll save you. He'll deliver you. He'll set you free. And then you know what else? He'll make you able to not sin in the same way. When, when I discipline my kids like that, it's painful. But I always follow it up to give them hope in Christ. The, the, the passage that we have this morning, it's kind of like that. It's, a, it's the discipline of the Lord. It just came last week in, in the passage in, in Hebrews 10, um, 26 to 31 there. It, it, he was disciplining us. He was disciplining the hearers and showing them that it's painful to walk away from God. There are some severe consequences. And if you continue down a path of willfully, intentionally, deliberately going on sinning, if you reject God, it will result in the vengeance of God. And so he strikes an appropriate fear of the Lord in the reader. And if, if you're like me, when you read passages like that, the good effect is it makes me not want to sin. It makes me want to press into God even more. It makes me want to follow the Lord with wholeheartedness. But we need passages like this morning too. Where the Father takes us up on His lap and He says, here's the good news, you can't endure because I've been at work at you in the past. Before when you were able to obey Me, when you were able to do My will, I want you to look back and see that that was a sign that I was at work in you. And then I'm going to continue to be at work in you. And, and I think the Father would have us have faith in Him, in His prior work so that we can persevere in the present. And really the main idea of these, of these nine verses, it's, it's meant to show us that remembering what God has done in the past, is it's meant to help us persevere in the present. Remembering what God has done in the past, it's, it's meant to help us persevere in the present, in the here and now. It says the author, is, it says he's saying... I've warned you of the consequences of falling away, but you don't have to be like that. You can avoid those consequences, and here's how you can have hope. And he tells them two things in these verses. He tells them really essentially two ways they can have hope in the promises of God. And he tells them two things. He tells them to remember the past. Remember the past and persevere in the present. The first point's really straightforward. It begins at the beginning of, of, of verse 32. 
remember the past. You see, the author of Hebrews, he's just finished this very strong warning. He's warned them to not go on deliberately sinning. Don't spurn the Son of God by doing that. Don't profane the blood of the covenant. Don't outrage the Spirit of grace. It's not something we think about very often, outraging the Spirit. You know, the Spirit's the Spirit of grace. We think of the Spirit as a comforter. But if we reject God, if we profane His name, if we willfully and deliberately go on sinning, we outrage the Spirit. That makes me not want to, to sin. It makes me want to press into God. And what he's saying now in these verses is he's giving us the means. He's giving us the means by which we can hold fast our confidence, but by which we can be secure. And, and one of those means, he says, recall. Recall the former days. Why is he having them recall the former days? It, it's important for us as believers, it was important for them as believers to not forget what God had done. I think we're all so prone to forgetting what the Lord's done in our lives. I don't know about you, but there's days when I wake up in the morning, I'm just in a rotten mood. And I've got no reason to be in a rotten mood, and I can't figure it out, and I can't figure out why I'm irritable. And, and so I go throughout the day, and I'm, I'm just trying to do my best, and I feel like I can't do it no matter what. And so I feel rotten, and I feel like by my sinning, somehow that maybe I've, I've not earned God's grace, and so maybe God's just pleased with me in some way, because if I know better, and there's no reason for any of this. And it's in those times I need to be remembered that it's, it's really not my efforts, it's the grace of God that's been at work in me in the past that's enabled me to obey God. And it's God's continual grace that will be at work in me in the future. We need to be reminded. The Hebrews needed to be reminded. They needed to be reminded of what God had done to recall the former days. After they were enlightened, after they were Christians, after they had received the light of the gospel... It says they endured a hard struggle. A hard struggle with sufferings. That can seem like a strange way to encourage faith, can it be? Hey, remember when you had that really hard struggle? Thanks, I was already feeling rotten to begin with. You know, how in the world can it be encouraging to remember a hard struggle? And, and the word there, it's, it's, it's a very graphic word. It's a hard contest, a fight, a battle. He's saying, remember this hard contest, this, this fight, this battle that you had with sufferings. Some would say that doing that is not victorious Christian living. Isn't it focusing on negativity? Aren't we supposed to just, we can, we're overcomers and everything and no matter what, and we just pretend that we've never had a failure, we pretend we've never had a fault, we pretend there's never been any problems in our lives? Isn't that what Christians are supposed to do? I, I hope you're thinking, no! <laughs> no, we're not to pretend as if we don't have hard lives. We're not to pretend as if there's no struggles, as if suffering doesn't exist. Instead, we're to look back and see where God has brought us through the struggles. Where God has brought us through those hard times. Where it's been God's grace, and we can't do that on our own. There's no way that we can get through hard times on our own. We're to be encouraged by looking back. And seeing how God has helped us overcome previous hard contests, hard struggles with suffering. So that we can be encouraged in the faith. It's not the kind of victory that never encounters hardship and suffering. But it's the kind of victorious living that the Apostle Paul speaks of. And what he means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can even be shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead. I can do those things through Christ 
who strengthens me. Because I think Paul understood. He saw the prior work of God in his life. And, and it gave him faith that he could do whatever, whatever life threw at him. Not because he had some greatness in his own ability. But because God had enabled him time and time again through shipwrecks, through stonings, being left for dead, being imprisoned and beaten. In the midst of trials and temptations, suffering and hardship, the message to the Hebrews is the message to us, is that we need to recall what God has done. We need to look back and see how God has gotten us through, or even maybe others through. If you're having a hard time seeing, well, I don't feel like I've ever gotten through anything. Well, God has sustained you. Talk to other Christians and say, tell me about your suffering. I want to hear how God helped you. We need to encourage one another as long as it's called today in ways like that by talking about our past suffering and how God has brought us through those times. Because at some point in our Christian walk, we all will stumble. We're all going to fall. We're all going to fail. At times you'll become stagnant. You're going to be faced with temptation to give up, to give in. The Hebrews were faced with those very same temptations. You see, the people that this letter was written to, they were, they were faced with a temptation to give up. It's just easier. It's easier to fit in. It's easier to just blend in and not stand out because we've experienced hard struggles and persecution and we don't want to do that anymore. Isn't it easier to go back to an acceptable religion? We face those same challenges in our day. Maybe in church you're facing the challenge of relatives who want you to go back to religiosity or formality. Maybe in the culture around you, you're tempted in the workplace or at school to, to just not speak up when someone speaks ill of Jesus. Maybe you're tempted to just not say anything when a hot-button issue comes up that you know you could speak into and, and bring a biblical perspective. Just like the Hebrews, we can be tempted to give up, to walk away, to forget the faith. The author of Hebrews, he knows they went through hard struggles. The word endured, it has a connotation really of standing one's ground. It's a really graphic picture of, of standing, remaining in the midst of the field of battle. And you get this picture of this warrior just standing in the middle of the battle. Everybody else is, is not to be seen except for the enemy which is onslaught is coming. And he talks about you endured. It's that picture. You endured with sufferings instead of running away in fear. And what he's saying is, that was a work of God in your life. You can persevere. You can hold on. You can hang on to the confidence that you have in Jesus, knowing that he's been a work in your life in the past. It's important for us as Christians to know that we too, we're going to struggle. We're going to go through difficult times through suffering. And it's not unusual. Okay, so when suffering happens to you, don't immediately think, hey, something's wrong with my walk with the Lord. Don't make that equation. Suffering is, is part of living in a sinful, fallen world. Don't think it's unusual that you have struggles. Don't think it's unusual that you have temptations and trials. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many troubles. It's not a sign that God doesn't love you, that He's not pleased with you. A hard struggle of suffering is likely going to come for every Christian. We shouldn't think it's unusual. And so in the midst of those times, a few weeks ago we learned, we need to encourage one another as long as it's called today. We need to guard against falling into unbelief. And then this morning, how do we do that? We guard against falling into belief. We encourage one another as long as it's called today. 
by remembering the past, by remembering the struggles we've had. And sometimes we need to point those things out in each other's lives. Like the author to the Hebrews is doing for them. He's pointing out, remember those struggles you went through? Remember what you got through? That was God getting you through those things. You need to hang on knowing that He's at work in you. Don't forget that God's going to get you through every hard struggle of suffering. You can be confident. He's going to enable you to endure. It may not be pretty. It may not be easy. You may endure affliction. He's telling them, remember the struggles with affliction? The word for suffering, it's a great contest. And we're to be strengthened and encouraged knowing that God has gotten us through this great endurance contest called life. And we can have faith for the future. He talks to them and he says, because you were tested, you were suffering, ridicule. And he tells them it's nothing new. So he reminds them in verse 33, sometimes he says they were publicly exposed to reproach. This isn't private reproach. This is publicly exposed to reproach. It's a picture of somebody being brought to a, a, a public theater and stood up on the stage and mocked, made fun of, ridiculed, taunted. It, it's public reproach he's speaking here of. They're made to feel naked. They're exposed openly to criticism, to disdain. This past week, uh, a pastor named Louis Giglio, he was, he was in a small way exposed to some reproach for a biblical message he gave almost 15 years ago. And it was, it was the simple preaching of God's word that not only caused him reproach, it, gave, it caused him to give up a very public honor of, of speaking at, at President Obama's inauguration. There will be times when, in simple ways, all of us will be tested. All of us will be publicly exposed to reproach. It could be something very simple. But we need to take heart knowing that, that God's able to make us strong through those times. And our first and our primary, not only example, but the, the reason why we can have hope is that Jesus himself endured much reproach. And in Mark 15... 31, it says, So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They weren't really asking for that. They are publicly reproaching Jesus. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, if we're truly disciples of Jesus Christ, we should expect it to be normal that we face public reproach. Surely we should expect and anticipate public reproach. And actually, we probably should think it's strange if you claim to be a Christian, if you profess the name of Jesus, if you share the gospel, if you're truly a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and you're living for Him and everything, you should anticipate that people will reproach you. You should find it more strange if people don't reproach you. Wondering, wait a minute, am I being a light? Now, we're not trying to incite people to reproach us. We're not trying to be annoying. We're not trying to stand out in bad ways. But the gospel offends. Now, we shouldn't be offensive in sharing the gospel, but the gospel message itself offends. People will think it's foolish that we believe in a man who came 2,000 years ago who was born to a virgin. That en enough is, is enough to cause reproach. You believe that somebody was born to a virgin by the Holy Spirit? Yes, we do. And we believe that we have hope because of Him. The Hebrews, they were publicly exposed to reproach, it says, and 
affliction. So as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, where, where am I tempted to, to go away from being reproached? Where am I tempted to not, to not speak up for Jesus because I'm facing ridicule? Maybe it's in the marketplace. Maybe we stand up for what we believe. Maybe we'll be called narrow or closed-minded. Maybe we'll be called ignorant or bigoted because we believe in Jesus. Because we believe there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus' Son. The Hebrews, they're being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And when they weren't exposed publicly themselves, it says sometimes they were partners with those who were. There's a common experience of the Christians in that day. Peter, he addresses the same concern in his first letter in, in 1 Peter 4.13. He says, but rejoice. Here's to be our response. If we get the chance to, to share in the reproach of Christ, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory... Let him glory in God, glorify God in that name. We, we shouldn't be ashamed of suffering as Christians, but instead we should glorify God in that name. For the church that this letter of Hebrews was written to, in all likelihood they didn't just suffer verbal abuse, because it says they suffered affliction as well, and that probably meant they suffered physically. They didn't just suffer, suffer verbal, public verbal reproach. They probably suffered physically as well. They may have been beaten. Maybe they suffered some other form of cruelty or, or deprivation. And then it said they stood side by side with those being mistreated instead of distancing themselves from them. You, you ever tempted to do that? You ever tempted to, when somebody is speaking up for Jesus and you're like, ooh, I'm not going to say anything over here. I, I, they, they said, no, we're going to stand with our brothers. We're not going to distance ourselves from them. They nobly stood by, even though it meant that they might suffer the results. Instead of being embarrassed or ashamed, the author of Hebrews is, is encouraging him, remember these things. Remember how God was at work? Look for all those little, little signs of God's grace at work in your life. Look at every little triumph that God has allowed you to have. Look at every time you've resisted sin. Go back and remember when you said yes to righteousness and no to ungodliness. Remember when you did what was right, when you wanted to do what was wrong. Remember when you had those struggles and trials and suffering and hold on to your confidence, knowing that He's been at work in you and He's going to continue to be at work in you. He doesn't say... Remember heart struggles and reproach and affliction because God's going to take you out of it all. That's not it at all. The likelihood is that they're, they're facing it again. That's why they're tempted. Instead, he says, no, in the midst of all these hard, difficult times, God's going to enable you to stand firm and give you grace to be strong just like he did before. And before, the reason you're able to stand strong is because you had a right perspective. You had a good perspective, a godly perspective of what happened to you. See, God didn't relieve them from troubles, but he enabled them to endure and stand up to trouble. So look at verse 34. It says, For you had compassion on those in prison. And here's something absolutely astoundingly crazy. Okay? This verse is meant to be crazy to us. 
you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How many of us would sign up for that if the government came and said, because you're a Christian, we're going to take your house, we're going to take your goods, take your car, and everything you have? I, I don't know about you, but that would be hard to be joyful. Here's the crazy thing. God was so at work in their lives. He says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Here's how they were able to do that. Here's how I think God would have you and I be able to face whatever comes. He says, since, here's how they're able to joyfully accept the plenty of their property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You had a possession that was far better, far greater, very much better than anything here on earth. You have a possession that is far superior in Christ Jesus. And then I love that he says an abiding one. One that goes on living. It is living with Christ because he lives forever. We have an abiding possession with him forever. And then it says that they're really their high view of Christian community. Being partners together with those who were mistreated, it was seen in how they had compassion on those in prison. They probably supplied their brothers and sisters in Christ with food and water and clothing, which those prisoners in chains would probably have died without. In order for their own faith or supporting those people, they, they suffered the seizure of their property. And the connotation here is by violence. There's nothing small. Now, in a society like ours today, it's hard to relate because I don't believe that any of us, and maybe, maybe some, but it would be very rare that we would suffer the seizure of our property in the United States because of the Christian faith. Now, there may come a day when that will happen. But our hope is not that it won't happen and the governments won't do that. Our hope is in the one who will enable us to joyfully accept a seizure of our property. See, their, their joy in the midst of suffering was a witness and a testimony. And they were living for something greater. They were living for an eternal possession. And I, I think in America today, we're suffering from a great blight. Really a great evil. Something that saps the life out of the church. It's when we fail to see possessions in heaven is greater than the possessions we have here on earth. And we, we, we think that this world is all that there is. We... We act, we play about as if all that matters is, is here and now. And we don't see that no matter what happens, we have an abiding possession, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, that's secure in heaven. Well, miraculously, the, the original readers, they didn't respond angrily, angrily or stoically. They didn't say, well, that's fine. And they didn't get angry either. He says they were joyful. They were joyful in the midst of having their property plundered because they had an eternal perspective. So maybe you can't look back at having your property plundered, but the, the book of Hebrews is here for that. And there's so many countless tales of martyrs all over the world today who have had their property plundered. And we can look to the example of the Hebrews. We can look to the example of others and be encouraged And we have the same great God who will enable us no matter what we face. To have joy, this kind of joy, in the midst of even this kind of suffering. The author of Hebrews is wanting them to be encouraged. and He's encouraging them. You can be confident in God for the future because He's been at work in the past. And 
You don't have to trust your own abilities. What he's saying to them, you can trust in the ability of Jesus, just like you did before. That's a message we need to hear this morning too, isn't it? We don't, we don't have to trust in our ability. Did you save yourself? The answer is no. You didn't save yourself to begin with. Paul, when he's talking to the Galatians, they were tempted to, to go back and trust in their works and their abilities. And he says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Did, you? did you save yourself? What, now you're completing yourself somehow? What Paul was trying to do, what the author of Hebrews was trying to do, is he, you didn't do any of the good things that have happened in you. Go back and remember those good things and let that give you encouragement and great faith and confidence and hope that God's the one who sought you out. God's the one who made you alive. God's the one who's going to sustain you and enable you. And if you see a fellow Christian who's struggling in suffering or trials, you need to go and speak a word of encouragement to them. First of all, just cry with them. Put, put your arm around them. Mourn with those who mourn. But then share hope. So you know what I... I don't have the same suffering as you, but, or maybe you do in some cases. But let me tell you how Jesus helped me. Let me remind you of where I've seen Jesus at work in your life too. And I know this seems harder than what you can bear. But I'm confident God's going to enable you. God's going to help you because I've seen Him enable you in the past and I'm, I've seen Him enable me. Let me encourage you. That's how we're to encourage one another as long as it's called today. That's the application really in, in this, this long stretch of Hebrews. We're encouraged we need to pull together as a body to encourage each other to, to keep strong in the faith, to keep our confidence firm to the end, to have faith in Him. I believe God wants to encourage all of His children who are mourning. He wants to take you into His lap. He wants to wipe away your tears, remind you how He's helped you in the past. He wants you to remember that even though this world may seem too hard, He's, he's gotten you through in the past. He'll get you through again. He's always been faithful. He'll enable you to persevere, to keep holding on in the present, no matter what comes. And then in verse 35 to 39, he tells us really the second way. The second way that we can have confidence, that we can hang on to our hope in Him. Remember the past and persevere in the present is our second point. Persevere in the present. Verse 35 opens with an imperative. Um, the author it doesn't start with the word order, doesn't start with therefore in the original language, but it starts with do not. It's a very strong imperative. Do not. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You have this confidence. Don't just jettison it. Just Don't just throw it away. In light of all that God's done, don't throw away your confidence. Jesus has all the ability. I'd love a quote from Corey Tinboom. She said, When we are powerless to do a thing, it is a great joy that we can come and step inside the ability of Jesus. When we are powerless to do a thing, it's a great joy that we can come and step inside the ability of Jesus. And we do that by remembering the past, persevering in the present. An old saint named John Chrysostom, he died around 407 um, because of defying the emperor's wife, really, he was put in exile. He was banished. He preached some unpopular sermons. He had he had actually spoken out against the excesses of the empress. And it got him into trouble. He experienced public reproach as a result. He was the bishop in Constantinople at the time. And they, they told him to recant and just say that he was wrong. He said, no, I won't do that. And so they threatened him with banishment. 
if he insisted on his Christian independence as a preacher. And so he said, I love this dialogue between the empress and him. He says, you can't banish me. For this world is my father's house. And she said, but I will kill you. No, you cannot. <laughs> I can imagine it. she was probably getting flustered. He says, for my life is hid with Christ in God, said John. I will take away your treasures, she said. And she did. He said, no, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive away from you your friends and you will have no one left, the empress declared. No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you. For there is nothing you can do to harm me. You see, John Chrysostom, he had that same kind of confident faith that God really gives to all those who trust in Him, who will hold on to Him. This is not a unique experience just to the people the letter of Hebrews was written to. All throughout history, there's countless tales of how God has enabled people to persevere in the present, to have a perspective that we have a possession in heaven that is far greater than anything here. And his confident faith in Jesus was how John Chrysostom persevered to the end. It didn't earn salvation, but it was the evidence of his salvation. He was banished, by the way. His friends were all removed from him. All of his treasures were taken. And he died being transported to yet another place he was exiled. But he had confidence to the end. I'll look forward one day to going up and talking to John Chrysostom and saying, Whoa! How did you do it? And I know what his answer would be. It's the same answer the author of Hebrews is telling the people in this letter that God would have to us. It's God at work in you. You can hang on. You can hold on. You can persevere if you don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away the very thing that gives you assurance of your inheritance in heaven. It's, it's like our holding on to Jesus Christ. It's like holding on to the title deed of our inheritance in heaven. We've been given this title deed, our confidence. And this title deed on it, it says, an inheritance kept in heaven for you. This title deed does not keep that inheritance, but it is proof of our inheritance. So don't throw that proof away. Don't discard it. It's silly to trust in anything else. But you see this title deed, our confidence in Jesus Christ, it's what gives us assurance that we will inherit the promises that he speaks of. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't forget what God's done. Don't throw away your confidence. There's something that doesn't have any eternal reward. Only for the here and now. And I tell you what, we're tempted to give up. And we're tempted to have confidence in the things here. We're tempted to give up our eternal rewards for just temporal things, aren't we? I remember this is old movie... Um, some may think it's not that old of a movie which reveals your age I think it's an old movie which probably reveals my age um, it was like 70 something it was called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory I really didn't like the movie very much um, I'm not encouraging it but it's got some, some good kind of lessons uh, parable really 
Willy Wonka, he, he's the owner of this candy factory, and he creates a contest where five golden tickets are hidden somewhere in all the chocolate bars they've sent out. And then five fortunate kids, hopefully, that would find these and come to his factory and receive a lifetime supply of candy bars. And for me, that sounds awful, unless maybe it's dark chocolate and then I'm okay, but um, they, they looked kind of milky, so I, I wasn't into it in the movie even. Um, so five, five, five children, they find these golden tickets. And, and they go, they go and they're given a tour of the chocolate factory by, by Wonka himself, Gene Wilder with crazy hair coming out of his top hat, and um, he kind of scared me actually, I remember when I was a kid watching the movie, I'm like, he's creepy. <laughs> he gives a tour to them and, and then he tempts each of them, he, he promises them that if they make it through this tour... They can have a lifetime supply of chocolate. But then he tempts each and every one of them, based on each of their individual proclivities, he tempts them to disobey what he's told them to do. He's given strict instructions. He says, follow my instructions to a T. If you don't follow my instructions to a T, you're gone, you're out of here, you're not going to win anything. And he's kind of weird and brutal about it. But, um, so then he, he tempts each one of them. And then I remember one, I don't remember what she had, that boy had done. He chewed some bubble gum and he was floating up and he was huge. He was a big round balloon kind of thing. And something to do with Oompa Loompas and... and um, he tempts them, and all of them end up turning aside, except for one. They, they all turn aside to things that are of a lesser reward. You see, they have a great reward facing them, a lifetime supply of candy bars. And yet they, they're each tempted by really these lesser rewards, because they've, they've lost sight of, of what their ticket, what their, their golden ticket has gotten them already. That is sure, all they have to do is just... Make it through the tour. And they all turn aside except for one. The one that didn't turn aside and he was honest and he was rewarded greatly. And, and it turns out in the end that it wasn't just a lifetime supply of chocolate bars. It was actually the whole factory was his. He was now the rightful heir. He inherited the entire factory. The people that the letter to the Hebrews was written to, they were, they were tempted to... To, to give up their great reward for lesser rewards, for what they could see right in front of them. That thing that maybe it was relief. Maybe it's, it, it's not a bad thing they were wanting. They were wanting relief from suffering. How could that be bad? If they were just wanting to not be afflicted, they just didn't want to have their stuff stolen from them anymore. And they, they just didn't want to be publicly reproached. Those aren't bad desires necessarily, are they? They were tempted to throw away their great reward, their confidence for these lesser rewards. And I don't think that's a unique temptation to them. You see, we're, we're tempted to turn aside to ease and comfort and pleasure and gratifying sinful desires. And some of their temptations, like I said, they're very understandable. But any rewards here that the earth promises, any relief, it's only temporal. We can be tempted to give up, to give in, to just take an easier route. To ask, you know, can I just have a little bit of my own way? Can I just have fun and enjoy the pleasures of this world? Wouldn't it just be easier to fit in to not speak up on Christ's behalf? It's not like I'm saying anything bad. I'm just not saying anything at all. Wouldn't it be better if I lived a life that was acceptable to those around me? Wouldn't I be a better witness for God if people didn't think I was weird? Those are tempting thoughts, aren't they? Maybe I should just try to fit in and be culturally like the world around me. Won't I be a better minister to them? And that's a hard 
question to ask. You see, we're, we are called to be in the world, but, but not of it. We're not called to stick out and be strange in the sense that we dress unlike everybody else because we, we're trying to be weird. But we're not to conform to the world either. We're not to, we're, we're to be light in a dark world. You know why? Because the world needs light. Because we have a very dark world. You don't have to look around very far to see it is a dark, a blind, a helpless, a lost world. And God's calling us to speak up and to be light in the world. Don't live for this life and the possessions and the things you can acquire. The author of Hebrews is saying, remember, and remember this way. Remember what God's done. Remember how He got you through. Remember, you're not living for this life. You're not living for these rewards. You're living this life for that which is truly lasting. You're living this life for the internal, eternal inheritance that is kept in heaven for you who are being guarded by God's power. So now seeing and remembering what God has done in you and through you, don't throw away your confidence. He's saying hold on to it. You're going to have need of your confidence if you're going to endure, if you're going to remain faithful to the end. And the reason we need to endure and, and hold on to our confidence is we, we need endurance. Look at verse 36. It says, For you have need of endurance. And don't we too need endurance? You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You need endurance so that when you've done God's will, you're going to receive the crown. You're going to receive what's promised. Our confidence in Christ is something we're meant to hold on to. It's something as well that we can, we can hold on to. We can hold on to our confidence in Jesus because He enables us. And holding on to our confidence is going to enable us to run the race that's set before us. You see, this, this Christian life, it is not a short race at times. It, it, it is an endurance race. But just like our Savior, he, he perfectly did the Father's will in every way. Jesus perfectly in every way resisted temptation. He perfectly not only resisted temptation, did not sin. He perfectly did what He should have done. It was righteous in every way that we might receive the gift of eternal life through Him and through what He's done for us. We're not saved by our works. And don't misconstrue this passage here. We're not saved by believing um, that the perfect life... Um, we're saved by doing... Not by, I mean, by works and not by, by believing and not by works. Sorry. <laughs> Stumbling over words. We're, we're saved by believing and not by doing works. And we're saved by believing the perfect life that Jesus lived as a substitute for our sinful lives. We believe that Jesus died as a substitute for us because you and I, we deserve to be punished. We deserve those consequences. But through faith in Jesus and what He's done for us, the Father has removed our sins and placed them on His Son. Not only that, He's taken all the, the merit that Jesus has earned and he's, he's placed it on us. And through faith in Him, we receive what He's promised. So now doing the will of God, it doesn't earn us eternal life. He's not saying that when he's saying, for when you've done the will of God, um, when you've earned eternal life. No, he said, for when you've shown, when you've evidenced, when you've done the will of God, as an evidence of the fact that God is at work in you, as an evidence of the fact that you believe, 
When you've done the will of God, you will receive what's promised. His, his promise is the great reward. He promises eternal salvation. A life lived with Him. He, he promises a sh- share in His own heavenly rest. Isn't that good news? He promises us a place in the heavenly city. He says, I, I, I go and prepare a place for you. This race that we're running, it's not a short sprint. If it were, we, we would all train for the one short race then be over and then we could just coast the rest of our time. But no, it's a, it's a marathon. So he talks about when he says, you'll need endurance. You'll have need of endurance. The Christian life, it's a very long marathon at times. I, in Canada, I had, a, I had a friend named Jim. He was a guy from New Zealand and he used to run 100-mile races. And I thought that was incredible. And, and I really couldn't relate to him in any slight way. And um, I couldn't relate to even running a marathon, much less several of them back-to-back non-stop um, and he would do this at least once a month he was running 100 milers I'm like how, how in the world obviously he was very thin but um, I thought it was pretty incredible that Jim could do that until one day I was talking to Jim and, and I, he told me he's going on a race this week and I'm like great what are you doing he's like well we're starting Friday night and we end um, Sunday so well, hang, hang on what do you mean he goes well it's a 48 hour race and we just run as much as we can in 48 hours. Um, that just blew my mind. And not only could I not relate to him, I, I thought he was certifiably nuts. <laughs> and yet he came back on Monday and he seemed no worse for wear. And um, I remember asking Jim, I was like, Jim, Jim, what's your secret? How do you do it? And he, he had this, this kind of endearing Kiwi accent. And he goes, I don't know, I just keep on running. And... Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, just, just keep on running. Just, I just go for it, and I've got the goal, and I just keep on running. I do a terrible New Zealand accent, but he, he kept thinking about winning. He kept thinking about making it to the end, and he said he tried to ignore everything else. He tried to ignore how he felt. He tried to ignore what was around him. He tried to ignore how cold or hot it got, and um, he just kept running. That, that's the kind of endurance we need in this life at times. But the good news is that God will give us this endurance. If we hold on to our confidence, not in ourselves, you see, our confidence that will keep us through, that will enable us to endure, is not something we have in and of ourselves. It's something we're holding on to. It's our confidence is in Jesus. And so we're hanging on to Jesus. And really the whole book of Hebrews is all about seeing Jesus. Holding on to Jesus. Seeing Jesus and having hope in His promises. And He's the one who's going to keep us. And enable us to endure. So maybe, like Jim, at the end of our lives, how did, how did you do it? I don't know. I just kept on running. I just um, hang on to our confidence in God and do His will. We can trust that it says He's going to reward us. We'll receive what's promised. And then in verses 37 and 38, the author of Hebrews says, For yet a little while, in the coming one... <laughs> this is good news, church, this morning, isn't it? For yet a little while. Remember, this life is not all there is. It seems like a long while in the here and now. But in comparison to eternity, what's a hundred years? If we live to be a thousand years, what would a thousand years be? And so he's not saying that necessarily he's going to come back in their lifetime, because obviously Jesus did not return in their lifetime. But in the perspective of God, who one day is a, a thousand years is a day to him, he says, for yet a little while, 
And the coming one, here's the good news, the coming one will come and will not delay. The coming one will come and will not delay. And the author of Hebrews is putting together a couple of Old Testament scriptures and he's reminding them that the time of Christ's return has not yet come, but he's not going to delay. He surely will come. Even though that time isn't quite yet, so don't even think of shrinking back. Don't think of giving up your confidence. It's just a little while. It seems like a long while to you, but it's really just a little while. It may seem that Jesus isn't coming back anytime soon, but in light of eternity, it's just a little while. We're encouraged to see it won't be long until He returns. His timing in sending His Son back, it's perfect. And Jesus won't delay in returning. He'll come at just the right time. The author of Hebrews, he's, he's quoting, he's kind of mashing together two different texts. He's, he's quoting both Habakkuk and Isaiah. And he's, in, in the book of Habakkuk, the context is, and if you remember a few years back as a church, I think it was four, four years ago or so, we preached through those three chapters in Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, God tells the prophet of a time of judgment and destruction that's coming. And it's not as if he's saying that you're going to get out of it. He's saying this time is coming. And he says, this time of destruction is going to be visited on Israel, his chosen people, by the Chaldeans, who are a ruthless people. And he says to write the vision on tablets, because that time would surely come and not delay. A time of judgment for the Israelites would come and not delay. Then God tells the prophet that the oppressor, though, here's the hope, that the oppressor would receive, at last, the judgment, and their evil ways would be punished, and God's purposes would be established. God's telling them that, even though you don't understand it, I'm going to use this for my righteous purposes and my justice will be established. And then he, he tells the righteous man is told to wait for his deliverer. And when the deliverer appears, he will put down the oppressor and vindicate God's justice. So the writer of Hebrews is picking up that language of the deliverer coming who will put down the oppressor and vindicate God's justice. And then the writer of Hebrews applies it to them and then to us. The righteous man preserves his life through all of this by trusting in God as his deliverer. That's the implication here. The expression, the coming one, it, it's used, it was used in the early church to point to Jesus as the Redeemer. What he's saying is that Jesus, the chosen Redeemer of God's people, one day He will come and He will not delay. He'll set all things right. So don't shrink back. Don't wonder if it's happening. He's coming. He's not delaying. He will return. Your promise is sure. Hang on. Hold on to your confidence in Jesus and all the things the author of Hebrews has been telling us about Jesus because you're going to need it. You're going to need it and you're going to forget the righteous man preserves his life through all of this by trusting in God as his deliverer. At the end of the book of Habakkuk, after God has just told the prophet that the just shall live by faith. It's really the central theme of the book of Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith in the midst of persecutions, in the midst of troubles and trials. Well, in Habakkuk 3, the, the book of Habakkuk ends with a prayer. It ends with a prayer by the prophet. And here's, here's what he says. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail. They were an agricultural people. This was bad. And the field yields no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, so if all of their earthly possessions and livelihood is taken away, 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Did you notice the parallel that Hebrews is bringing in? I will take joy, not in my circumstances. He says, I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk didn't have it all figured out. He didn't understand why this was coming. And, and at one point he just had to say, I, though everything bad happens, though it's all taken away from me, though our entire hope of livelihood is gone, I'm trusting in God because He's the one who's going to enable me. He's the one who's going to set my feet on high places. They able me to be run and not be weary. There may be a suffering and affliction and difficulty, but we can rest assured the coming one church will come and not delay. And He's coming to reward all those who remain confident in Him. To do what He's promised. As Christians, we can follow Christ's example. We can be His disciples, be His followers. By following His example, when He, it says He endured the cross. Why did He endure the cross? That wasn't, in, in, if you were suffering through the cross, it would not have been a good thing. But it became a good thing because he, he endured the cross for the joy of what he knew it would accomplish. For the joy that was set before him. This, this book of Hebrews is meant to help people see Jesus and give them hope in his promises. Church, you need to see Jesus. You need to have hope in his promises. Life is rough. It will fail at times. You will fail, you'll stumble, you'll fall. But you can have hope because God has been at work in you in the past and recall how He's been at work in you in the past. And He's going to enable you to, to be able to pray like Habakkuk and persevere in the present. Interspersed throughout all these first nine chapters of Hebrews, He's been showing us who Jesus is and how great He is and how great the salvation is that He offers. And then throughout has been warnings to not turn aside, don't... Don't turn back, but persevere. Don't fall away because what's he trying to do? It's like when I take my kids aside and I discipline them. I warn them, sometimes sternly. And I explain to them how grievous their sin is and, and how it offends not only me and, and their mom, but how it offends God and it's sin. And it deserves the, not only punishment that they're going to receive right now, but your sin deserves great punishment from God. But then... I explain the hope that they have in Christ. That's what the author of Hebrews here is doing. He's been warning us, don't go deliberately sinning. It's going to result in the wrath of God. But now he's wanting to reassure us, you don't need to wonder if you are part of those who turn away. You shrink back from faith in Jesus. Look down at verse 39. And as you do, let's go ahead and the band, go ahead and come up. We'll close in a couple songs. Look in verse 39. Here's the encouragement. He says, But we, church, but we, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The righteous one has faith in God that sustains them to the end. And he's saying, I've seen God at work in you in the past. Remember, God will enable you to persevere in the present. And you're not going to be destroyed. You you're of those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. This morning, in the message, I think what we all need to hear is remember the past, where God's been at work. 
And remember to persevere in the presence, to hang on, to see Jesus, to have hope in His promises. Remember what God's done. Keep holding on to your confidence. And if you're struggling, you're having a hard time doing that, go to somebody around you and say, I need help. I need you to help me hold on to, the, to my confidence because I, I can't do it on my own. I can't even think straight right now. Just tell me what God's doing in my life. Tell me what God's doing in your life. I need to hear that. Remember what God's done and keep holding on because Jesus will come back. He has given a great possession to you. It is kept in heaven. We have a great reward. And one day He's going to make all things new. We're called to look up to see how much greater Jesus is. To not throw away our confidence for temporal rewards. Because He who promised is faithful. Reading one last passage. Go ahead and stand if you will. In Revelation 22.20 It says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Amen.